I invite you to take your Bibles again, please, and turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 101. Psalms 101 can be found on page 601 in your pew Bible. As you're turning, uh, it is wonderful to be back with you. I was thinking about this. I, I think this is the second time in 13 years uh, that I've been gone two Sundays consecutively. And so on one hand, I enjoyed it. On the other hand, I'm not sure I want to do it again. Um, but it was uh, we had a wonderful time with Gabrielle, a wonderful time with Nathaniel. They're both doing well. Uh, they said to be sure to send their greetings to you. And so uh, we're grateful for the time away and for the chance uh, to be with them and to be see them to see them. Some of you, I know, have grown children who live uh, not next door to you, and so you know uh, it's it's great. You want to go and cram a bunch of stuff in and uh, get to see them, and and more importantly, uh, just lay eyes on them and make sure that they're doing well. So uh, we're grateful for the time we had with them. Psalm one hundred one, a psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now, as we pause and give attention to your word, we pray that your spirit would accompany the preaching of your word. We pray that in equal measure, we would be comforted where we need your comfort. And Father, we pray that we would be challenged and convicted where we equally need challenge and conviction. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1967, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher and Omaha native Bob Gibson was named MVP of the World Series. He followed up his 1967 MVP performance with one of the most dominating seasons ever recorded by a pitcher. His 1.12 ERA remains the lowest ever in the modern era of baseball. Gibson was rewarded in two ways following that season. He was named most valuable player of the entire National League, and baseball voted to lower the pitcher's mound because he and several others had been so dominant. Omaha threw several parades then in honor of her most famous son. The fall of 1967 was no different. The mayor of Omaha proclaimed a Bob Gibson Day, 
which the city council unanimously affirmed. Now, please understand that was back in the day when the city council and the mayor did not necessarily like one another. And so for the city council to unanimously affirm anything was a miracle. And yet they did. Omaha was justifiably proud of Gibson, who had grown up in North O and attended Creighton University to play both basketball and baseball. Now, because he won the MVP, Gibson earned a bonus. There was a cash award from the league for being the World Series MVP, and there was also a bonus in his Cardinals contract. And just what did Bob Gibson intend to do with his bonus money? He, along with his wife and his two daughters, wanted to return to Omaha and buy a house in the Westside School District, District 66. There's one problem with that. They couldn't. By law, the Westside School District was off limits to people of color. The informal name of this particular practice was called redlining. This morning, we begin our 10-week series in the Psalms, picking up where we left off last summer. And Psalm 101 is a psalm about justice. Justice is something that's often talked about, often heatedly, and often because someone is decrying a particular injustice. Justice, according to the dictionary, is the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of, conflict, of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. You're probably thinking the same thing I was when I read the definition. I'm not sure I have any better idea of what justice is than from when before I read it. Not to fear. Psalm 101 will give us some helpful categories as we think about justice. On page five in your bulletin and on the screen in front of you, you'll see an outline for our time together this morning. Here's our big idea, which, by the way, I'm not really in love with, but we're going to go with it. Here's the big idea. Grounded in God's character, Christians are to work for and expect justice, both in this life and the next Four points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. We need to start in the right place. We need to start at the right place. We need to note, as we begin this psalm, where it is that David locates or grounds his understanding of justice. David says in verse 1, I will sing of justice, of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. In other words, David's understanding of both God's covenant faithfulness and his understanding of justice are grounded in the nature and in the character of God. That's where David begins as he wants to understand justice. Now, we need to recognize that David had plenty of other options for a starting place. He didn't have to start with God and God's law, and God's character, and God's nature. Now, there were numerous ancient texts in which various and assorted philosopher kings pontificated about the best way to exercise the rights of a king. 
David could have looked at one of the texts from neighboring countries. He could have talked to kings from other kingdoms, but he doesn't do that. That's not where he begins. No, David grounds his understanding of justice in God's character. Or we could put it this way, because the God he serves and worships is just, David wants to be just. Now, not only does, is it David who begins his definition of justice with the nature and character of God, but that's where we must begin as well. One of the really interesting and confusing things about all of the heated conversations that are happening in our current moment about justice or the lack there of justice is no one seems to have a, a common baseline. There's not a common foundation from which people are working. And that's because a long time ago we lost a common starting point. See, it's not the cultural currents or societal norms that are the proper starting point as we think about questions of justice. We must begin with the nature and character of God. The biblical standards of justice are eternal because God himself is eternal. And they apply everywhere because God is the creator of all things. And so if we give away grounding our idea and our definition of justice in the nature and character of God, then we are giving away that which is eternal and we're giving away that which applies everywhere to everyone. So let's make sure that we're starting, as David did, at the right place. Well, secondly, then, we see that this idea of justice is not just for kings, but it's justice for everyone. It's justice for all. In verses 2 to 4, uh, the voice shifts a little bit. It's still David writing, but it's David presuming, as it were, a kind of different type. See, in the Psalms, David often serves as a representative type. And there are three different sort of Davidic voices that we have in our text for this morning. And in verses 2 to 4, David is a picture not of, of a king, but David is a picture of each and every follower of God. If you claim to serve and worship the Lord, then verses 2 to 4 are for you. They're for us. It's how we can work out this idea of justice, an idea that's grounded in the nature and character of God. It's how we live it out in our everyday life. You see, justice is not just a societal issue. It's not just an issue that's out there in the world. Justice is also found in how everyone chooses to order and to live their life. But let's note, David makes clear in verse 2, and it's going to get repeated again in verse 6, that the goal of thinking about and, and seeking to live justly is not sinless perfection, it's not to walk around so that we can look down our noses at people who aren't as just or who aren't as with it or as woke or whatever term you want to use as we are. No, the point of this, he tells us in verse 2, is blamelessness. He says in verse 2, I will ponder the way that is blameless. 
Oh, when will you come to me? Now, friends, let's understand there is a profound difference between blamelessness and sinlessness. There's a difference. None of us can claim to be sinless, but we can, in various and assorted situations and in various aspects of our life, we can propose to be blameless. You're saying, well, what's the difference? Let me try to illustrate that. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine uh, who has had the really unfortunate... um, He's had three really rotten churches his first 10 years of ministry. The first was an associate pastor. It's where I met him. He was serving in Lincoln. And then he went somewhere in Iowa. uh, And that didn't end well. And then he was in Wisconsin. And that didn't end well. And I know uh, if you're not a pastor, you sit there and go, well, there's one common denominator in all of this. And that's true. And he would admit that. But in the last church, there were some particularly troubling and sort of grievous accusations made against him. Later on, the people who made them admitted that these things weren't true, that they had made them up because they just really wanted to be rid of their pastor. And so as he and I were talking about these things, uh, he said, well, no, those things weren't true, but you know, I, I deserve that. I said, what do you mean you deserve? No one deserves to be slandered in that way. If these things weren't true about you, they shouldn't have been saying them. And he said, well, no, but you know, I mean, Kyle, I mean, I'm a sinner. So I deserve much worse than this. And I was like, yes, I get it. You are a sinner. And yes, we all deserve much worse than what we get from the Lord in his grace and in his mercy. But I'm not talking about you being a sinner. I'm talking about the fact that in this particular instance, you didn't do the things they accused you of. In this instance, you were blameless. I know you're not sinless, but you were blameless. Well, that's what David is striving for. David says the goal is not sinless perfection, but blamelessness, that no one can charge No charge of reckless or wanton disregard for justice could be laid at David's feet. And so David uses four really interesting words to describe this. He talks about how we walk, how we look, what we love, and what we know. What we walk. He says, I'll walk with integrity of heart. I will not look at anything that is worthless. I will hate the work of all those who follow. And if it's a perverse heart, it will be far from me. How we walk, how we look, what we love, and what we know. It's interesting, isn't it, that each generation rediscovers some truth that previous generations already knew, and they get all excited about it and want to claim it for themselves. And one of the great joys of social media is that now, thanks to TikTok Reels, you can figure out all the things that Gen Z thinks they're figuring out for the first time. And it's really stuff that's been around for a long time. Like I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a TikTok challenge now. Can you write your entire name without the pen leaving the page? And someone responded, congratulations, you've just discovered cursive. Think global, act local. 
It's another more recent phase as we think about questions of justice, as we think about questions of environmentalism, as we think about all sorts of questions that tend to kind of weigh in on us. And if we look at the entire picture, we go, ah, it's just so much, it's so dark, what in the world can I do? And the response to that has been, think global, act local. That's what David is telling us in this first part of Psalm 101. Let's talk about justice. Okay, great. You want to talk about justice? Talk about how you walk. Talk about what you look at. Talk about what you love. Talk about what you know. Don't worry about questions of justice out there. There are lots of them. But think global, act local. Instead, ask questions about how you walk, what you look at, what do you love, what do you know. Here's another wonderful one that I grew up hearing lots of times, uh, particularly as it related to a couple of my friends. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Well, now, again, it's been rediscovered, and the way it's spun positively is you become like the five people you spend the most time with. Again, that's what David is saying. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. David is not even going to associate with those whose work will fall away. He will not set before his eyes anything that is worthless. See, this idea of justice is not merely in one aspect of life. But the idea of the blamelessness that David is talking about and being blamelessness in terms of justice is about the totality of our lives. Oftentimes we want to fixate on one particular issue, be it social justice, racial justice, financial justice, sexual justice, you name it. We want to hone in on that one thing. But the Bible tells us it's not about one thing. It's about all of the things. And as we think about all of the things, the goal is to act and to live blamelessly. Thirdly, then, we see the just exercise of power. We see the just exercise of power. David is no longer speaking, as he does in verses 1 to 4, as an individual follower of God. David is the king of Israel. And because he is the king of Israel, he can say with a straight face, I will destroy those who slander their neighbor, and I will not endure those who have a haughty look and an arrogant heart. It's David's right as the king to punish those who act wickedly. And so that's what he's talking about in verses 5 and 6. David is going, to, uh, not, is, is going to act in a way uh, that will let folks know who engage in false witness and arrogance that those things will not be tolerated in a just kingdom. But why those two? Why does he just say false witness and arrogance? Well, let's remember that God's law is summed up for us in these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, if I'm slandering my neighbor, I'm obviously not loving them. And if I'm arrogant, then pride of self has replaced the fear of the Lord. 
So if I'm arrogant and if I'm slandering my neighbor, then I cannot be said to be loving God and loving my neighbor as myself. Now, it's all right and good, and it's, it's wonderful, isn't it, to read these words and go, hey, I will look with favor on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Wonderful, amen, King David, that's great. How do you explain, though, <clears throat> that little thing with Bathsheba? How do you explain how you looked upon, took another man's wife, had an affair with her, got her pregnant, tried to cover it up, and ultimately had her husband killed? Because that doesn't sound very just. It sounds like something a king would do. But it doesn't sound very just. Well, friends, again, let's remember that when the Bible gives us an ideal and we, we fall short of it, it doesn't, it doesn't lessen what the Bible is teaching. It simply reminds us that we are sons of Adam and we are daughters of Eve. And it highlights for us just what a heinous thing it is when the standard of justice that God has set before us is violated by those in power. Peter, with a straight face, tells us to honor the emperor. The emperor who keeps falling. The emperor who can't keep his words straight. The emperor who seemingly forgets where he is. By the way, if you know anything about history, you know that we're not alone in that. Ours is not the first emperor to be incompetent. Ours is not the first emperor to be addled. Ours is not the first emperor for people to wonder exactly how evil a human being that person really and truly is. Peter writes to Christians who are suffering under the persecution of the Roman emperor Nero. And what does he say to them? Honor the emperor. Fear God, but honor the emperor. Well, in verses 7 and 8, we see and we are we have this prevailing sense of frustration that this idea of justice, this really good thing that's out there that the king is supposed to be about, sometimes the king is the one who's doing these really unjust things. And when is this ever... When is justice ever going to truly have its day? We'd, we'd love to live in a just society. We'd love to live in a society in which good is rewarded and evil is punished. When's it going to happen? Well, in verses 7 and 8, we get the third picture of David, that of the coming king. Or David is now speaking as God's forever king. The king who's coming, but he wasn't there Yet, And this king will not allow any deceit in his house. And so right away we go, okay, this can't be David. Because not only was David deceitful in his own house, but he had his son named Absalom who rebelled against him, killed his brother, and then tried to usurp the kingdom from David. And no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Again, we go, this can't be, this can't be David. 
And morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Okay, that sounds wonderful, but it can't be David, so who is it? Well, we know that it's the coming king. We know that it's Jesus. We know that when Christ returns... There will be no deceit in the house of God. We know that when Christ returns, the unjust, the wicked and the evildoers will be removed from the city of the Lord. And so we can work for justice in this life. We can expect justice in this life. But friends, we need to understand that this kind of vision of perfect justice that verses 7 and 8 gives us is never going to happen in this world. It's not. So all the utopian visions that people peddle and all the talk of, right, John Lennon, imagine all the people living in heart. No. No. Only Christ can bring about the kind of perfect justice that verses 7 and 8 speak for us. Only Christ can do that. No human king, no magistrate can bring about the picture of justice that's given for us in verses 7 and 8. And by the way, we should be really, really grateful that it's Jesus who's doing this. Because when he talks about one who practices deceit, and one, who's utter, one who utters lies, one who is wicked, one who is an evildoer, we all have to, as we stop and we think about what the Bible has to say about sin, and how the Bible defines sin, and how the Bible defend, defines unrighteousness, we read that and we have to look at it and go, well, crud. According to this, <laughs> I'm going to be destroyed in the land. And according to this, I don't deserve to be in the city of the Lord. I can't dwell in God's house. I can't live, as it were, before his eyes. I can't live before his face. And that's where Jesus and the gospel become such a powerful thing. Because we're told, in, as we read in our, in our uh, words of assurance this morning, we're reminded that those who are in Christ are declared not guilty, we're justified. Are we deceitful? Yes. Are we those who lie? Yes. Are we wicked? Yes. Are we evildoers? Yes. But thanks be to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see those things. No, when God looks at us, he hears and he sees Christ and he hears the declaration that we who are guilty are now declared not guilty. And so we can look forward to the justice that is promised us. We can look forward to the world that is to come and dwelling with God and ministering and living before his face and living in his city. Let's pray.
Our Father, we bless you this morning uh, for your justice. And we thank you that in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, your justice and your mercy meet one another. They are not at odds. But in the death of Jesus, your justice is satisfied. And your mercy is poured out upon those who are liars and deceitful and evil and unjust. Father, we pray this morning that as your people, uh, we would expect justice and we would work for justice. And Father, we would think about those things, not just in terms of what's out there somewhere, but that we would strive for those things in our own lives. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.